Hello and welcome to We Came From The 80s, the podcast where we talk about movies we thought were cool. I'm your host, Farron, and I'm here again with one of my co-hosts, Heather. Hi. So we chose for our second movie, you know, a movie about a sick kid who is made to feel better by being read a story about a young man who was traumatized by his kidnappers, developed Stockholm Syndrome, and eventually became their leader. So of course we're talking about Princess Bride, which premiered on the 9th of October 1987, and was directed by Archie Bunker's son-in-law, Rob Reiner. It's, it was written by William Goldman. It's actually based on his book. Is the book, like, have you read the book? No, I've, I've always meant to and have failed to get around Oh, okay. Because I'm wondering, is like, in the book, is it about an old man reading a book to a kid, or is that just the no, movie? No, no, it's, the old man is just the movie. The, the book is... Uh, okay, so it's like a meta... That's, that's, that's clever, actually. I'm I like super that. curious to find out if it's like the, the Disney adaptations of the uh, Grimm fairy tales. How so? Well, have you ever read the real fairy tales? Probably at some point a thousand uh, years ago. They're dark and terrifying. Oh, okay. And so you're wondering if, th- if, if, this if is it's the... been like Disneyfied. Oh, okay. I don't, I don't know. This isn't a Disney film, though, is it? No, no, no. no. Uh, just just... Disneyfication in general. Right. Okay, fair enough. So it stars Carrie Ellis, 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 yeah. Carrie, like uh, yeah. Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, Andre the Giant, and Wallace Shaw, which is inconceivable. I, I never liked this actor, you know, and I feel bad because he is clearly a, a skilled actor, but I didn't like him as Grand Nagus Zek, the leader of the Ferengi. You, you see him in Deep Space Nine. I never liked him mostly because he's got this this squeaky high pitched voice, and so they give him parts that are, I guess, designed to grade on you. Yeah, he's. He seems to get cast as the annoying little guy. Which a is lot. too bad. Yeah. Because I have a feeling that he's probably like a really serious actor. And if you tone his, tone his voice down a few octaves, he's probably a little better. But, you know, you get what you get. You th- they throw money at you, you go and act. Inconceivable! You chose this film because it's one of your favorites. So when did you originally see it? I can't remember. Probably high school. I've seen it so often. I can't really pick out which was the first. So it wasn't in theaters, though? No. Uh, once again, it's uh, most of my... VHS. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's just like Raimi. And, yeah, and like me, for that VHS. matter. Okay, so, so what makes it one of your favorites? Um, like, what is it about it that you loved so much as a kid? Or, I guess, a teenager? I think it was the, the, the dialogue. Okay. There are uh, several of the phrases I've just... Uh, become part of the language in my family such as inconceivable inconceivable okay. i'm on the brute squad oh okay uh, <laughs> a rough family wow yes yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so i i honestly don't remember when i originally saw it it's one of those movies i think it was probably in university actually i have no clue when i first saw it to be perfectly honest yeah. uh, i know that what attracted me was the music the storybook story the song they they based the the love theme around yeah, uh, I ran out and got the CD back when CDs were a thing, just for that song. That's all I was interested in. And I got to admit, when I first saw it, I didn't like it all that much. I like it a little more now, but it didn't blow me away. I always feel because I have I have some friends who are in their twenties, so clearly this is way older than them, and they adore it. And I always feel like I'm not in on the joke. Yeah, like it's a joke. It's a joke that everyone gets, like, but me, like the rats of unusual size. I have a friend named Jordan. Uh, who I know will listen to this, and she has this thing with rats of unusual size. She thinks it's hilarious. I'm not sure I get the joke, other than it was a guy in a rat suit, a really bad rat suit. Yeah, I... I, <laughs> I don't know, it's... It's a little... To me, it's a little Dungeons and Dragon-y. 
Really? I, I was I was so cool in high school. Yeah, I can tell. Um, yeah. Not that I was very cool, but okay. <laughs> but it's it's a little bit Dungeons and Dragony with the crazy monster, the the Rous and the fire swamp and the. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I... I don't know. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, yeah. Uh, so, what stands out to you? What is it? Like you mentioned the dialogue. Is there anything else? What, what really? What is it that makes it the movie for you? Now that you've seen it again, fresh eyes, theoretically. It's not as good as I remember. Really? Yeah. What is it that what is it that doesn't meet the meet the uh, the standard anymore? I think I'm just older and harder. <laughs> Interesting way to put that. Okay. <laughs> Rough um, life. Years, no, in the, just, years in the dungeon. Uh more cynical. Okay, fair enough. The the love story doesn't cut it as much as it did when I was twenty. And that's about as mushy as the films I ever watched. Usually, my films have explosions. Oh, okay. Well, uh, well there are explosions here. Yeah, You see, know they're right? coming. You, you, uh, you. But... Okay. Yeah, for me, I think what stands out is the the dialogue is a cut above. It's not acting. It is not exposition. Like, we're going to watch Legend after this, and that is very much... You know, these people live in a fantasy world, and they speak like that. These guys seem one step ahead of that like they're just a little smarter than your you know than the average bear so to speak and that sort of it gets my attention you know that they all seem to know they're smarter than the material Mm -hmm. and i kind of like that i wonder if the book is like that it may also be rob reiner it could be i like that it didn't take itself super seriously either yeah yeah though i gotta say one thing that also stands out to me is carrie needs to learn to you know blink it's, yes. I, I know there's a thing, I forget who's explaining to me, I think it might actually have been, well, not explaining to me, but I think I heard, I think, I think it was Brad, uh, Bradley Whitford, he played, uh, among other things, he played uh, Josh in uh, uh, West Wing, my very favorite show. So he, uh, Josh Lyman, and he, I, th- I think it was him who was talking about blinking, that the difference between an actor delivering a line without a blink and a blink is a big deal, because it's about intensity. But this guy never blinks. No. Like there's entire like there's there's some scenes where he blinks, 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 blinks because he's you know a normal human being who requires moisture on his eyeballs. And there's sometimes where he's looking at you, like he has you know like he's trying to carve a hole in your head with his eyes. Yeah. And it's really off-putting. You know he is acting, and but again the dialogue is such it's really chill dialogue. But he's looking at you like if he blinks he's gonna die like they are he'll be fired it's really weird and it it didn't work for me i gotta say i gotta be perfectly honest do you remember if he does that in robin hood or any of the other ones no the only other i mean i've seen that film but the only other film i've seen him in that i that i know it is glory uh he plays uh he plays the second in command of the 54th massachusetts infantry very serious movie you ever seen it no it's 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 about the well the 54th massachusetts infantry the first black regiment in the civil war with Matthew Broderick as Colonel Shaw, real guy, and the idea was it was all black, uh, black enlisted and white officers. That's where Denzel Washington won his uh, Academy Award. Yeah, and so he played Major Forbes, who was this kind of this drunkard who, you know, Colonel Shaw brings along because he wants his childhood buddy with him, and he seemed pretty normal. He wasn't intense, but then you don't see him really close up because he's in a lot of multi-person scenes. It's not. I noticed it here when he when they're lying on the uh, on the wall and he's you know he's just come back to life and maybe that's what it is maybe you know he hasn't learned to blink yet and maybe that's only when i noticed it but it was weird of course he also spends the first third of the film with a mask on so it's hard to tell True. 
But yeah, so there was, so there was, you know, things like that sort of stick out. I mean, so those things sort of bother you. It's sort of like the, the, the pebble in your shoe. Right. But yeah. So let's sort of go through this kind of sort of. There's like 70 million scenes. So we're not going to go through them all. But at least it, this way we have some idea. Like you said, we can get it in order. We're not missing things. You know, it starts off with uh, yet another member of the Wonder Years cast. We had uh, the older brother playing EJ in Monster Squad. And now we have the younger brother playing well, a sick kid. I don't think they ever come up with his name. And, you know, he's in bed and he's, he's, he's got a cold. And his grandpa, played by my least favorite actor, Peter Falk. This, this film is filled with actors I don't like. It's not fair. Um, because I should love this film because it's so clever. And he reads him this story. And, I re- and, and, and you know, it's, it's uh, Peter Falk playing Peter Falk. Yeah. It's, it's Columbo all over again. Ah, one more thing. He says, like, he's half drunk. He reads in the story, and I, and I like how he sort of, he sort of, over the course of the story, sort of draws him in and says, eh, you're not interested in that kissy stuff. Eh, uh, maybe I am. Like, you know, like he, yeah. he sort of reels the kid in until the kid is asking for more. And when he gets really excited that, you know, the grandpa says, oh, maybe we'll wait till tomorrow. No, 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 I'm fine. More and more. And I love that. I got a kick out of yeah. that. Yeah, that j- j- just when the movie gets too serious, they interrupt back to the bedroom. Yeah, yeah, and that happens a couple times. And Keeps it, it light. Yeah, and I got a kick out of that. And it's, you know, he's a typical little kid playing on his Nintendo Entertainment System a baseball, although amusing, there's no NES in sight. And NES never had the joystick with the button up top. So it's like, it's the, it's the mid-80s, the prop master said, oh, whatever, we've got a joystick, carry on. Of course, he was in that movie, The Wizard, which was like a a full-length movie advertisement for Super Mario Brothers 3. Yeah, pretty much. So I've ne- which I've never seen, and I'm a richer man for it. We won't be doing that one, I think, on this podcast. I mean, there's bad, but then there's the wizard. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so the, the, first, you know, the whole first scene is just sort of this, it's like a fishing expedition, like the grandfather has to snag him with a hook and reel him in, and I really got a kick out of that. A book? That's right. When I was your age, television was called books, and this is a special book. It was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick, and I used to read it to your father. And today, I'm going to read it to you. Is it got any sports in it? Are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. Doesn't sound too bad. But then we get to see the, you know, the sort of the generic actually a lot like legend isn't it it's well you haven't seen you've never seen legend have you i don't remember so this is kind of the same feel where you've got the you know the the innocent young lady living in the sort of the countryside and the young boy who is also innocent and we learn she's kind of a hag to him she's always pushing him around and he keeps saying as you wish which we learn means you know he loves her farm boy polish my horse's saddle i want to see my face shining in it by morning as you wish I think it means, okay, you bitch, leave me alone. But that's, you know, <laughs> fine. <laughs> yeah, fine, whatever, I'll drag water for you and shovel the shit out of the stables and whatever else. But yeah, and, and that's kind of cute, but it is that fairy tale thing, you know, as you wish. Like, it's it's repetition. We know. I, I think I noted that later on. It's like, it's sort of a the fairy tale repetition mm-hmm. where you do this, and then you do this again and another thing. And you do this again and another thing and yet another thing. Like, it's it's always building. Like, it's it's got that that routine that little kids need in their stories. Yeah. So it's always do something mean as you wish. And then do something mean as you wish, but she looks at him funny because she's starting to like him. And then do something mean as you wish, 
and she looks at him and then they kiss like it's just it's always it always builds on that routine almost like a kid's song and i like that that's, yeah. that's clever again i'm not sure if that's rob reiner or the book probably both again neither of us has read the book which is a problem so yeah we we're gonna get 600 angry emails you idiot you should read the book well no we're busy you know so there, so so that that happens that's kind of cool next on our list of things that happens is he goes off and to make his fortune which is like the most generic fantasy thing ever because i can't help but think that if she's got a stable boy she's got some money yeah her 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 dad has hired a stable boy yeah farm boy so clearly there's some money in the family he doesn't have to run off and and make that money but okay it's an excuse to get him to do cool things and the dread pirate robert which is weird, like sort of the, the pastoral English fairy tale. You don't expect, yar, a pirate be here. Like, you don't expect that. Yeah. But it's, it's, you know, it's a modern fairy tale, and it's like the, the, the writer took this sort of bucket of fairy tale tropes, poured them on the table, and said, I'll take a little bit of that, and ooh, pirates take that, and ooh, revenge tale, and ooh, a guy from Spain, and, you know, a giant, ooh, let's take that. It, it, it's kind of funny. It's like, it's like the children's Lego version of a, of a fairy tale. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, eventually they say their goodbyes. She goes off. She discovers, well, she hears that he's died. The assumption, the assumption is he's died because Dread Pirate Robert doesn't take prisoners. Or at least that's the way it seems. You know, off she goes. And then we immediately learn that five years later, she somehow winds up the fiancé of Prince Humperdinck, which, I'm sorry, that's got to have been on purpose. Oh, yeah. You know. Because in the 80s, there was always the advertisements for Engelbert Humperdinck. You know, okay. And, of course, that name, Engelbert, okay, in North America, that's funny. In Europe, they go, what's your problem? It's a name. But I'm sorry, Humperdinck? Here? Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. that's, that's an albatross around your neck. That's, uh, that's a winner. That must have been chosen because it's giggly for kids in the uh, 80s. It makes 12-year-olds laugh, yeah. Yeah, so mostly I just look at that and think, dude, you know, it doesn't cost a lot of money to go down to City Hall and get your name changed, but whatever. So she... Do they ever really explain how it is she winds up his fiance? Do they like he just picks the hottest chick around? It. They mention that he picked the most beautiful girl in the land or something. And Robin Wright certainly qualifies. She's pretty cute. Yeah. Yeah. So she winds up, you know, the the uh, the fiance. And I love that they introduce her. It's like something out of a rock concert. On that sundown, I shall marry a lady who was once a commoner like yourselves, but perhaps. You will not find her common now. Would you like to meet her? Yes! My people, the Princess Buttercup. The doors open. And it's like this bright light, and there's almost like a fog in the background. It's like, I'm sorry, we're in medieval wherever. Can you produce that much light? But whatever. Where? They ask the stagehands to add more spotlights, I guess. You know, Rob Reiner says, more light, more light. Which is, you know, okay, whatever, fine. It's, you know, at this point, I found there wasn't a lot to recommend the film. I got to be honest. I was bored yeah. up till now because there's, there's not a lot. No. No, the, you have to stick in for the first little bit. Yeah. And it's, but, but it's neat because we're like, like Adam Savage, the boy with the cold. He's, he's not, it's not Adam Savage. Fred Savage. Fred Savage. Adam Savage is from Mythbusters. Yeah. He's not in this. Yeah. So Fred Savage, you know, he, he needs to be reeled in as well. And I like that we are made to feel like him. 
I mean, I don't have a problem with the kissy and I love you stuff because I'm not a four-year-old, but it's neat that we have to be reeled in for different reasons than he does. Mm -hmm. So she goes all, you know, so the princess goes, or she's not a princess. I guess she is. He makes her a princess, which they never explain. She's suddenly Princess Buttercup, which... Okay. Okay. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) sure. Let's go with that. She goes off for a ride and comes across the three most questionable mercenaries ever. A word, my lady. We are but poor lost circus performers. Is there a village nearby? There is nothing nearby. Not for miles. Then there will be no one to hear you scream. Andre the Giant, who was like a WWF wrestler, who I'm told is a really nice guy, but I don't know, I can't understand half of what he says. I think, it, and I, I think part of that is he had an accent. I don't, he's not from... He's French, I think. Like Really? Yeah, he's a... Uh, I thought he was like Eastern European or... No, nope. uh, French farm kid, I think. The actor? Like Andre yeah, the Giant? like really? actually. Oh, yeah. geez, okay, I didn't realize that. Yeah, I think maybe also the, like, the, the size of him, I think there's some issues there with... Yeah, his he ability to like his certainly had some medical stuff. His, going on. his speech issues and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, so I I never and I found that very frustrating that I couldn't understand what he was saying. Now, maybe I would have had less of a tr- less trouble with that as a kid if I had been into WWF, but I wasn't. Yeah, and we were. Like, oh, okay. So fair enough. I really wasn't. I was too snooty for that, I suppose. And then Grand Nagus Zek is among them, and uh, in his young years before becoming the uh, the leader of the Ferengi, he's off. Stealing, uh, stealing chicks. I congratulate you all. Profits are better than ever. <laughs> Nevertheless, it is becoming more and more difficult to find truly lucrative business opportunities here in the Alpha Quadrant. And Inigo Montoya by Mandy Patankin. He's hilarious. I get a kick out of him because his quest is so serious. And yet, he's so absurd. He's a cartoon. That's a good way to put it, yeah. I guess he's, he's a cartoon. Because, again, he, everything about him is serious. There's nothing overwrought about him. Until he keeps saying, I am Inigo Bantoya, you have killed my father, I am here to kill you, say goodbye, or whatever it is he says. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die in that bad Spanish accent. Yeah. I keep saying it over and over and over again, you know, the point where the guy says, stop saying that. Other than that, he, he takes himself very seriously. He's, he's gentlemanly and polite. Like he waits, you know, when they, when they climb up that cliff and they're waiting for, you know, dread pirate, uh, pirate Roberts to catch up to him. He's so polite about it. I do not suppose you've got to spit things up. If you're in such a hurry, you could lower a rope or a tree branch or find something useful to do. I could do that. I've got some rope up here, but I do not think it would accept my help, since I am only waiting around to kill you. That does put a damper on our relationship. Ah, I promise I will not kill you until you reach the top. That's very comforting, but I'm afraid you'll just have to wait. I hate waiting. It's kind of funny to laugh at, but actually that's not far off. No, he's... I, you know, I, I read this neat book called Murder Among Gentlemen. It's the history of uh, dueling in Canada. And these guys are so polite to each other. It's, it's the code. It's, it's the code. Like, uh, in real war, it's like the guy be climbing up. You wait for him to get right to the cliff end and go, you know, oh, stick up. Gotcha. You know, gotcha, exactly. But these guys are, he's, he's so damn polite. Yeah. And so, but also that I think a lot of that is it's for kids. Yeah. This isn't going to be the Rob Roy 
duel at the end where it's blood and guts and people, you know, dying horribly. It's 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 a kid's it's a kid's version. It's yeah, a kid's version, and so he's so polite, and in the end, he winds up pretty much convincing him. I had forgotten that he knocked him out. I actually thought Fuck. he was going to talk him through. Like, I thought he was going to talk him over to his side. Roberts, the pirate, of course, no. it's Wesley. Yeah. I and But no, thunks on the head, and okay. But that's, again, that's the repetition thing. Level one, be, be clever and use your use your skill to beat the swordsman. It's the and first sub-boss. The first sub-boss, yeah. Level one complete. And then they move on to the giant, and it's the same thing. It's all talk. You know, but whereas instead of the like the Errol Flynn 1920s or 1930s uh, fencing, it's brute force. But again, it's all talk, and it's also polite. I did that on purpose. I don't have to miss. I believe you. So what happens now? We face each other as God intended. Sportsmanlike. No tricks, no weapons. Skill again, skill wrong. You mean you'll put down your rock and I'll put down my sword and we'll try and kill each other like civilized people? I can kill you now. Frankly, I think the odds are slightly in your favor at hand fighting. Like, and again, it's, I, I actually thought he would win him over, but of course, I hadn't caught on that it was a pattern. Use the skill of your enemy, of the boss. Yeah. Talk to him nicely and then knock him on the head. And then the third time, he gets to someone he can't knock on the head because he's too clever to follow Wesley, or too clever by half, I guess. And it becomes the poisoning thing. And it's again, it's the same thing. This like, there's always a little more. Like, there's always a little more. Like the first one, it's there's there's no danger. He's going to win that sword fight. We know this because sure. yeah. because he's the good guy. And then the second one, there's a little more danger because he's much smaller than Andre the Giant. Of course, so is everyone else. But in the third one, the danger is that Princess Buttercup, who he's got at knife point because he's kidnapped her, we actually left over. That we, we don't even really we're not even really sure right away why it is that he's been, that she's been kidnapped, other than well, uh, they they explain it on right. the on the ship, which is remind me, it's uh, Humperdinck has hired them to. But do we know Humperdinck has hired them yet? Yeah. Okay. Um, on the ship from right when they, wherever when... they're from across. To Florin to yeah, some Florin other to Gilder. Gilder, right. He says, you know, we've been hired to start a war, we're going to murder you and leave the uniform of the Gilder. Right, and leave her body on the shores of this foreign country. Right, right, right. right. And so he's got the, you know, the blade to her throat, which seems odd because he wants to kill her anyway. And then for whatever reason, he has, quite conveniently, a nice handkerchief laid out on a rock. Oh, yeah. Two goblets and... Wine, wine, bread, no. cheese. Yeah. yeah, and my question was, the poisoning was Wesley's idea. Sorry, Dread Pirate Robert. What the hell? Like, that was just there conveniently because it's a children's book. Like, I, I just... Well, maybe they had stopped for lunch. I guess? Or... Is, is there a missing scene where he says, you know what, we're just going to wait for what, this guy to catch up to us. Let's eat. It, it may have came from the same place as the light and the... Uh acrobatics bar and the gym mat that's right we forgot about that the uh, yeah the the, the duel with Inigo Montoya the conveniently placed chin-up bar and the uh the olympic the olympic style uh gymnast mats covered in enough dirt that we 
only sort of see him land on it, sink into it, and you watch the dirt sort of pulp. Yeah, it's the same. So it's in other words, from the set is what you're telling you, the set designer. Yeah, that's very con- that, that's very convenient. Thank you, Rob Reiner. Okay, so he drinks it, and then he you know he kills, uh, or he doesn't kill. The Grand Nagus, the Grand Nagus poisons himself, so. which is inconceivable. Ugh. That's why I don't like him. It's the, he keeps using that word. Inconceivable. And it. I don't think that means what you think it me, means. Yeah. And you were saying, you know, you were saying that the language in this film tends to sort of popped up in your family. I've heard that one many times. Yeah. He didn't fall. Inconceivable. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. I see that one all the time, on Twitter. Usually taking a shot at Donald Trump, actually. Yeah. Like, but I and I never got where that came from. I'm pretty sure it's from. Oh yeah. This movie. For sure. Yeah. Because that generation has grown up, and they're the ones taking a swing at, you know, the orange clown. So yeah. So he he knocks off Shaw, and then for whatever reason they roll down a hill so that we can see that they've got stuntmen who they couldn't find. I guess they couldn't find stuntmen who looked like their actors, but we get to see them roll down a hill. Not even a little. Not even a little <laughs> bit. Well, because at one point, like his, I, I think it's like his, the guy playing yeah, Wesley Stuntman. His mask came off and his, um, his wig, or it was obvious that it was, it was like, wow, that's not even close. But I think that's part of the wink and the nod. Yeah. We know it is. So why, you know, why not just go and like, you ever see Flash Gordon, the 1980 Flash yeah. Gordon, where they, they understood they couldn't make a movie with the budget of Star Wars. So screw it. You can see the wires, or, or in uh, Monster Squad, where you can see the bats. The bats. You can see the wires. So okay, he just says screw it, whatever, leave it in there. It was probably the best. They probably there's only so many times you could throw a stuntman down a hill without hurting them. So they probably said, you know what? That's the worst take of them all. Let's use, use that it. one. Yeah. You know, I almost want to. Tw- I almost want to tweet Rob Reiner and say, I got a question, but yeah. I'm sure. 30 years on he probably doesn't remember much anyway I, I did enjoy the way they just they just owned it they're like this is you know ridiculous and silly and let's just own it yeah I, it makes no sense for the story but it is it, it's it's a little bit screwball it's a little bit of physical comedy which oddly this film doesn't have any there's almost no physical comedy it's always dialogue comedy yeah. one thing i noted i was reviewing guardians of the galaxy last night actually and i noticed that Groot is the physical comedy, and Drax is the verbal comedy, and Peter Quill is the situational comedy. This film is almost all verbal comedy. There's a little slapstick here and there, but yeah. Well, it's, like it's, the falling down the... Yeah, or the uh, gently. Gently! Punk. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a few bits like that, but it's mostly it's but the it's dialogue. it's mostly dialogue. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's the sort of thing, I wonder if someone like Aaron Sorkin, what he would have done with a script like that. Yeah, exactly. Could probably be a little too intense, I think. Yeah, so... Finally, she discovers that he's Wesley, and immediately she's she's right back with him, and she and they escape into the fire swamps, and of course this whole time Humperdinck is chasing them down. And one thing I found funny is that you know the Humperdinck we first I have no idea how it is he reaches those cliffs as quickly as he does, but he starts looking at the the footprints and he realizes there was a great fight between two swordmasters, but he gets it totally wrong. And then he goes to the fight, like he he guessing how it ended. Oh, the loser ran in this direction, and the winner. Like no, and then he looks over the the fight scene with Andre the Giant, and he gets that one wrong too. And then he gets to the site where the you know the, the Grand Nagus uh, Zek is still dead, and he gets that one wrong too. Like he's such an idiot. Like he, and yet he's like despite the fact that he's he's always being pointed in the right direction, he always keeps moving forward. His forensic account of the event. Is totally off. It's it's a complete and, and and 
he does catch up with them at the bottom of the hill and they go into the fire swamps which was made on a budget of at least ten dollars i'm pretty sure it's the same 10 by 10 feet of set and they turn the camera in another direction yeah. and have them walk that way and it's it gets really bad oh yeah but you know it's like oh this is a lovely place and she glares at him well the trees are nice and of course the trees look like the trees shit. are horrible it's not that bad Well, I'm not saying I'd like to go to summer home here, but the trees are actually quite lovely. And then you hear the, like, the fire swamps and it's like, it's like the worst prop ever. It's like they've got the, you know, the, the, the tank of gas underneath and they've got the, the sound effects guy and the guy with the, the valve who goes, okay, my turn, turns it on and there's fire. And it's like, really? And yeah. there's the, the, the quicksand, which is kind of funny, and the rat. Yeah, the the light the the three hazards of the fire swamp, which are the yeah the the fire the the fire the lightning sand and the ROU lightning sand is that what it's, it's called lightning sand yeah. okay that's a, that, again this is the joke I'm just not getting yeah. in on right what is it about these rats that everyone thinks is so awesome because to me it's just a guy in a shitty suit well yeah I think it's um it doesn't really get funny until you see it in real life so much of the r- ridiculousness is mirrored in in life like people exaggerate oh i see what you mean like so this giant impossible problem turns out to be a dude in a goofy suit oh okay i get okay yeah that i mean the rats are kind of i mean it's it's, you could see from the back legs it's just some it's it's like a kid or some dude in a in a really bad costume yeah it's it's kind of funny it's you know it's i i I said i'm not like rolling on the floor laughing but it's 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 funny strange as much as anything else i think and so they get out the other side of the fire swamps and Humperdink, who's <laughs> on 12, is there, yeah, he's waiting and she makes, you know, swear you'll spare him and I'll marry you and off that. And of course, he's evil, flapping his cape and twisting his mustache. Take him to the pit of despair with like the most polite torturer ever. Where am I? The pit of despair. Don't even think don't even think about trying to escape the chains are far too thick and don't dream of being rescued either the only way in is secret only the prince of the count and i know how to get in and out then i'm here till i die till i kill you who it's funny because he says like what am i doing here you are in the oh wait (coughs) you are in the pit the pit of despair that's cute that's that's got to be rob reiner yeah. Like it's that sort of wink and an obvious. He he sort of grew up in the, uh, I want to say Max Brooks, but that's his son, Mel Brooks. It's the sort of Mel Brooks. It's funny, and he's like it, it's all a wink. Every, mm-hmm. He loves like Mel Brooks, who, whose humor I despise. Okay, I don't despise. That's not fair. I just really don't like it. I don't, it's not my cup of tea. I respect it, but he's always winking. And Rob Reiner, the same sort of thing. Like he learned how to do the winking comedy, and that's what. You know, things like the, you are in the pit, cough, cough. You are in the pit of despair. You know, despite the fact that he's this weird-looking guy. Little albino weirdo. Yeah, yeah he's an albino with... With icky, a rash. With a, with a, yeah, with a, he needs to get that looked at. He's, <laughs> you know, he, he uh, too much time spent in the local village with the late, with the ladies of questionable repute, I would assume. Yeah, so he's like, he's torturing him. And what's the name of that machine, the life-sucking machine? I think it was just the machine. Are you coming down into the pit? Wesley's got his strength back. I'm starting him on the machine tonight. 
a little weird with like the the nipple cups and the the head cups, the suction cups, and that one's a little. It was yeah odd, you know. And it's it's like he goes as far as setting one, and it hurts a lot, and and I sort of forget what happens next. We actually have to look this up. We've, <laughs> we've been sort of burning through this. I have a feeling this is gonna be a short episode. I think they I'll cut back to the castle. That's right. They cut back to the castle, right? Because she she says like my. You know, I don't want to marry. Yeah, sorry. She it's has the, like, the nightmares, isn't it? Right. She has the nightmare that she's already married him, and the kid's when the kid freaks out. Uh, the the old the old crone. Right. Starts screaming Boo. at him. You're the. Why do you do this? Because you had love in your hands. And you gave it up. Yeah, boo, boo on you. You're the. And of course, she's got this wart that is clearly meant to horrify and exaggerate and yeah she's an old crone with these wild uh eyebrows that go out to wherever like from a star trek episode or something yeah and then she wakes up and you know i, I like that they they sort of go back to fred savage like the boy mm-hmm. who's the, the book's being read to i like that because that's so horrific horrific oh my god what do you mean they got married yeah that's cool yeah it's like wait wait no you're doing this wrong yeah, that was that was neat. Yeah. Well, like you said, I, I I didn't know whether the book was Grandpa reading a book, or whether it was just the book. And like you say, the Grandpa and the kid are the movie. Yeah, that's just for the movie. And I like that. We would have thought the same thing. Well, what do you mean they're married? And before the father was dawn, Buttercup and Humperdinck were married. And at noon, she met her subjects again. This time, as their queen. My father's final words were. Hold it, hold it, Grandpa. You read that wrong. She doesn't marry Humperdinck. She marries Wesley. Just sure of it. After all that Wesley did for her, if she didn't marry him, it wouldn't be fair. Well, who says life is fair? Where is that written? Life isn't always fair. I'm telling you, you're messing up the story. Now get it right. Do you want me to go on with this? Yes. All right, then. No more interruptions. And then we realize the kids on the same page as we are. Yeah. And I like that. It's sort of that wink and the nod. We get, I get to be Fred Savage. I get to be the little kid. And so, yeah, so she wakes up and realizes, oh, God, I can't marry him. Isn't that when she runs into the room yeah. and humperdinky and says, you know, I, <laughs> I, you know, I can't marry you. And so he agrees, I'll, okay, I'll send my four greatest messengers, blah, blah, blah. And, of course, the guy's in the basement. Yeah. Or no, he's off in the... He's, he's, in, the, he's in the... The pit of despair. 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 Yeah. yeah. With the more, <laughs> like, yeah, that yeah, was awesome. The world's most polite uh, torturer, yeah, exactly. Who again needs some, needs some cream. Really, he put something on that. Yeah, and Humperdinck goes down to finish him off and sets the machine to like. Oh yeah, he's furious and slams the bar to the top. Right, and and he screams and it does kill him. And the count's like, no, not fifty. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, at somewhere along the line, we've missed that we we catch up to the fact that his right hand man is really quite the right-hand man. He has six fingers, which is, of course, what Neo Montoya is looking for, a six-fingered man who killed his father and left him with slashes on both his cheeks and 20 years of build-up. And lucky for him, he's been hired by the guy's boss. And at some point, Neo Montoya figures this out. I don't even remember how. But at this point, he's back in the game, and so is Andre the Giant. Again, I don't know even what Andre's character's name Fezzik 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 naturally so I keep thinking of old Fezziwig but that's an entirely different thing yeah, yeah that's um, Ebenezer that's Scrooge's uh, yeah. master when he was an apprentice yeah 
So those guys are back in the game, and I forget how that works. Oh, right. The Fezzik emptying is, of the Thieves' Village. Right, and Fezzik is hired as part of the Brute Squad, which point out he is the Brute Squad, and he finds Montoya, who's gone back to drinking his face off. Right. Vicini says go back to the beginning. Right, 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 right. So he really does, being, being found drunk. I'm waiting for Vicini to show up. So, or Grand Nagazek, whichever. Inconceivable! Um, same yeah, same, same guy. <laughs> yeah, and so they go and they find... I forget how, how it is they even find the pit of despair. Oh yeah, his um, father guides him. Wesley's scream. Got to 50! Sound of ultimate suffering. Leads right. them to the grove. Right, and then his... And then uh, the albino accidentally gets his... Knocked out, so you can't tell him where he's right. from. And then he does the sword trick. Yeah, guides me with a gorgeous sword, I must say. It's a pretty beautiful prop. I found that went on a bit too long. Like, oh, yeah, him sort yeah, of closing yeah, his it, eyes. I get and... it, just, yeah, come on, man. Yeah. And then I... it, 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 it kind of misses, but then he smacks his... He leans his head on the tree in, in despair, despair and, op- and hits the right the right, yeah, the right knot yeah. on the tree for the door to open. And it's like, that is a $5 set. Yes. Like, that's out of Scooby-Doo. That's when they find that's when they find the set just before they discover that the ghost is really Old Man Roberts. Yeah. You know, like, it's that kind of bad. But it's one of those things, if you know you can't do it well, fuck it. Just yeah. have some fun. Make it a graphic novel. Yeah, in many ways. Well, I, I mentioned that about, the, remember we, we, when the, the set, the ruins at the top of the cliff, it's so clearly a set. Mm-hmm. They just went with it. Like yeah. when they're in the ocean, like when they're being, like when they, they initially those three guys kidnap Buttercup mm-hmm. and they have, them, have her on the boat, it's so clearly a pool in the back lot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, you know, where they've thrown up black drapes so you can't see into the distance because it's night and you never much see the scary eels. It's so clearly a shitty little set. Yeah, but it worked. It did, absolutely. For years, I wouldn't swim in cloudy water. Seriously? Yeah, like, seriously. <laughs> That's awesome. I, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it did because I have brothers and they make fun of you. Yeah. But, <laughs> so we'd be, we'd be swimming and you can't see the bottom and then they'd start going, hey, the shrieky eels are coming. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Yeah, but then they go to the you know the, the top of the cliff, and there's that set which was designed as a set to have a sword fight on, a fencing fight. Yes, like it's clearly designed that way. And you know, even with the the, the bar that he swings across, the first guy sort of swings across, and then you know Wesley loops around like a, a gymnast and lands on the pad. Even without that aside, it looks like it was built for like a 1930s Robin Hood with Errol yeah. Flynn. They knew they couldn't make it anything else, so make it the best of what they can manage, which is, this is a set, let's make it a set. Make it a good set. Yeah. Um, you ever see the the Dune miniseries that the Sci-Fi Channel oh, yeah. pumped out? The director had said he knew he could never afford to make this look as good as the 1984 Lynch. So he treated it like an opera. There are scenes where it's very clear you were on a set, and he doesn't even try to hide it. No. You can actually see the ripples in the background, like in the backdrop. It's your part to believe. Yeah. We're going to put on the play. You believe it. Yeah. And, and I thought that was cool. And I, I respected the, the show a lot more when I realized he was going for the opera. Not because he wanted to. I'm sure he would have been happy to make 
a, a $50 million or $100 million picture to rival the 1984. But he knew he couldn't. So he said, fuck it, let's just go with opera. Right. And I, I like that. It's the same sort of thing here. Here, This money, this movie was probably made for $3 and a pack of chewing gum. And he knows that. So he says, it's going to be a set. Make it a set. Go for it. Let's have lots of ups and downs. And, you know, it's exciting to watch a sword fight on a stone staircase. So we're going to have like four of those. And, yeah. you know, lots of leaps and jumps. And then we'll have the funny thing with the bar. And let's have some fun. And I really appreciated that. And it's the same with like the, the door into the pit of despair. Spare, spare. You know, it's it's a paper mache tree. Yeah. And when it opens, you can actually see the wooden door and the the tree parts put on, but hasn't covered it entirely. There's a little frame showing, yeah. Yeah, and I I like that. Like, you can't quite see the hinges, but damn close. And it's very clear that there's no way that little tree actually provides a way down, no. which is why Andre the Giant never goes in there, because there's already, like, one person ahead of him in Yomantoya, and he knows that two people aren't going to fit in that little tree set. No. So they just cut it in advance. Okay, let's just go there. You know, it's sort of like when in uh, uh, The Monster Squad, when we see uh, the uh, Dracula turn into a bat in front of Sean's house. They knew they couldn't do it right, so you so the camera moves past him, and you see the shadow on the wall when they can just animate it. Yeah. Do, do, what, do what you can with what you got. Exactly. And so they go down, and they find, you know, Wesley, and he's dead. And then they bring him to the most annoying magical couple on earth, a little Jewish couple in the village. It's unfortunately, what's the character's name? Billy Crystal. Yeah. What is her name? I think I should know because I recognize her, but I can't put a name on her. Yeah, it's, she's another. You, you were talking about uh, felt a little Mel Brooksy. She's yeah. another common one in Mel Brooks. Um, Carol Kane plays Valerie. Yeah, you're we're the same thing. Yeah. yeah, I recognize her. Yeah, she's that's the, that, for some reason I, I'm not sure why I thought her name was Annie or whatever. But those two are the most annoying couple because it's Billy Crystal being as schmaltzy as possible as like it's do your do your old Jewish man thing, and I felt it didn't really fit. I I get it. That's like the the old Jewish man is a it's a trope in yeah. Mel Brooks comedy. And I have no problem with it. Maybe it's because I grew up around people who are actually like that, coming from a Jewish family as I did, but um, as I do. Um, I don't know. I just, there was nothing about that scene I liked. It's one of my favorite scenes. Why? It's, it's one of the ones that made it into our, uh, our family culture. What's, what made it? Like, what's specific? I, I, I got to hear this uh, one now. Well, I'm on the Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. Yeah, okay. For starters. Either, I'll call the Brute Squad. I'm on the Brute Squad. You are the Brute Squad. Just the the couple kind of, once again, it reflects life. Uh, yeah, they're dynamic, you mean. Right. My grandparents were like that. My, oh, okay. My grandpa would say something, and my grandma would call him on it. And Okay. You, you, but your grandfather didn't raise the dad. No, no, not. It's too bad. I, not anyway. more than once, anyway. Not more than once, really. That's, yeah, for our next podcast, The Occult with Ferret and Heather. Yeah, so they so they they give him this what is it, like a walnut or something they've something been something like that. Yeah, and they wait fifteen minutes for it to cure, and so they drag him naturally right to the the edge of the of what's going to be a battlefield, and they jam it in his mouth, and he wakes up, but he can't move, which is one of the little bits of physical comedy in this mm-hmm. in this movie that he can't move. The problem is. I felt they should have played it up more. Like, it's cute that he can twitch his finger eventually and that he's this floppy, 
dummy that Andre the Giant has to haul around. Yeah. Um, and I think that's cute. But I don't know. I just... The end of it, like he... they, he, You know, at one point he can't move at all. And so Andre the Giant sort of ling- leaves him... Hooks his arms into a knight. Hooks or his a, arms into one of those displayed suit of armor, uh, yeah. yeah, suit of armor that's on display, and he's sort of left there. Um, okay. And the next time we see him, he has somehow managed to drag his ass across the castle and haul himself into a bed. Find the princess's bedroom out of a whole castle. Yeah, he finds the princess's yeah, bedroom and manages to and manages to do that. See, it would have been amusing, I think, to see the scenes of him sort of dragging himself. Oh, not this room. Oh God. Okay, next room. Like that would have been funny, and I wonder whether. You know, when I see these movies, especially now that I'm doing it for the podcast, I often wonder what got left on the cutting room floor. Where is that extra five seconds that would probably solve a problem that I've seen come up? And here I wonder if there's that scene of Wesley dragging himself going, okay, that's not the room. Oh, God, the next one. Oh, God, there are 12 rooms in this hall. Here we go. And then, like, intercutting that, I wonder whether they just either the filming, either it didn't look good Mm -hmm. or Rob Reiner said, ah, screw it, whatever. It's a kid's film. They'll figure it out. It's hard to tell. I mean, Rob Reiner is a good director, but it's one of those things. It maybe just bothers me because I'm, I'm me. I don't know. <laughs> it, it could be the evolution of movies, though. Because in the '80s, they they did leave a lot of gaps. Well, well they do now too. You're, figure it out. Yeah, I, I leave to you the Star Trek reboots. Uh, you know, well, yeah. Exhibit A. Yeah, and I guess I mean that's I mean even in even we talked about in Monster Squad. How is it that Dracula knows that Sean has the book? How is it he knows where he lives? How is it he has his phone number? How does it he knows these things? Right. You know, maybe that extra thirty seconds of seeing the bat hanging there, watching him, would have done it, but they didn't. A lot of it is I think we're putting more thought into the films than the writers did. Yeah. Not to disparage the writers, it's just that. You got an hour and a half for a kid's movie. Move on. Yeah. Condense it. Condense it. Yeah. You know, kids can sit for about 45 minutes, and then you need to change the pace, and they'll sit for another 45 minutes. But that's why kids' movies are only ever an hour and a half. Huh. That's sort of the prevailing theory. It's the same in teaching, right? That's like, you know, if you ever talk to an elementary teacher, like, they'll tell you, 45 minutes is the most you can keep a kid doing the same thing, and then they need to change. This movie around the 45-minute mark becomes a much different adventure. Tone changed, yeah, you're right. You know, the tone changes. And that's but it's also the same in a Disney film. Yeah. Right? It's good up to the first like they almost do them in like you know, movies are traditionally three acts. Disney's tend to be two. Because at the forty five minute mark, they change. Mm-hmm. The Pixar films are a little better. They tend to stick to a three act. Yeah. Because they're ironically the Pixar films are the grown up films, uh, more often than not. Uh, though Cars is, well, we won't go there. That's no. Doc Hollywood, no, Michael J. Fox movie. That's what it is. It's, it, yeah. it, it, it's you know, Pretty it's, much, it's yeah. the same thing with less topless girls. But uh, at least one of them. I mean, I haven't seen Cars, admittedly, but my understanding is that it's... it's yeah, no, there's there's no 80s boobs in Cars. You know, in a Pixar film, I'm going to make note. Yeah, so in the movie, you got sort of like two things going on. You've got, you know, Wesley off to find Buttercup, but you've got Inigo Montoya, who's finally found this six-finger jackass. And it's hilarious. He keeps telling him, I am in the Montoya, you killed my father, uh, prepared to die. It's because he's been saying it for 20 years, and it's like he has to keep yeah, saying it. Like, he sh- should be dead. Yeah. Right. But That's, saying it has... It, it picks him up. It's picks his him mantra. Up. It's, yeah. It's, uh, it gives him the, the adrenaline to get up. That, yeah, and it's funny because this is one of the few things I remember from seeing this film, again, 20 years ago. I thought it was just he had... He had been planning to say it and practicing to say it so often that he just kept on saying it. It's all he had left. 
but I had forgotten that he was stabbed numerous times by the six-fingered guy whose name I never remember. Count um, right. Count. Count R or something. Six-fingered guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I had forgotten that he had almost killed in Neil Montoya. He. He. You know, and like you say, it was his mantra. It sort of brought him back. The more he says it, the more life comes back into him. The more. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello. My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Hello! My name is Diego Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! Well, did you notice that he gave the count exactly the same injuries? Well, yeah, that... The two arms, the cheeks, and the yeah. final blow was in and, that. And like I said, I really like how the end says, offer me, plead for your life. Offer me money. Offer me anything I want. And then he kills him. Offer me money. Yes. Power to promise me that. All that I have and more. Please. Offer me everything I ask for. Anything you want. I want my father back, you son of a bitch. It's almost like that's from a more serious movie. Yeah. I like it. Don't get me oh, wrong. Oh, it was great. I, I really liked it. It's almost like the thank you when the werewolf gets shot in Monster Squad. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is almost from a more serious-minded film. It's like, I like that. I hate when a, when a movie disrespects a character. Mm-hmm. I hate to see a character humiliated. I don't care how evil they are. I expect I want every character to be treated with respect. And at that moment, when he is allowed to say, you know, offer me money, offer me power, offer me whatever I want, there's he gets satisfaction in a way that isn't cruel, but it's the way he's envisioned it. Yeah. And I respected that. That you know that Montoya gets what is due him and he's and despite the fact that he keeps saying over and over and over again you killed my father and he says at one point stop saying that it ends with him being treated with respect and i really like that when it's the first i i I could be wrong it happens occasionally it's the first time this movie gets serious without the kid interrupting this is true that's right because at this point he's bought into it yeah and in fact you know so when when it's all yeah, yeah and me too I still don't love this movie, but that scene makes me respect it so much more. And so, you know, of course, obviously it ends exactly the way we expect with, you know, Humperdinck, he, he uh, being humiliated. He doesn't get killed because that would be cruel. And this is a kid's film. Yeah. So, yeah, so they sort of ride off into the distance. And I like this is, you know, this is where the grandfather knows he's got Fred Savage, the boy. He says, hey, you don't want to hear about that. It's all kissing. Oh, it's well, okay. Maybe a little is over. They rode to freedom. And as dawn arose, Wesley and Buttercup knew they were safe. A wave of love swept over them. And as they reached for each other... What? What? Now it's kissing again. You don't want to hear that. I don't mind so much. Then he, you know, and, and that's how the story ends. And, and Grandpa agrees to come back the next day to read it again. I also like books that, that promote reading, mm-hmm. which sounds really adulty. I like a book that takes joy in reading. Maybe yeah. because I'm a bookworm myself and, you know, a writer. 
I like the idea that it relishes in the idea of a book, and this does that. Yeah. It's it seems almost a little self promotional of the writer of the Princess Bride to write a movie about two people relishing the book, The Princess Bride. Right. I almost squint at that and go, "Oh, dude, you wrote a movie in which the kid begs his grandfather to read you his book." Uh. Yeah. But he earned, but he earns it because Grandpa has reeled him in like a fish. Yeah. Slowly but surely, and knows when to let out a little bit. They skip the first kissing part, and then he reels him in a little more, and then reels out again, and in the end, he's got him. Yeah. Murdered by pirates is good. Yeah, it, it's it's very clever. This film, now that I'm thinking about it, is more clever yeah. than I gave it credit for, and I think it's gone up a little bit in my estimation. That's part of what I liked about it so much from like my teenager years and my twenties. Like, mm-hmm. like this was the film that if I was given a choice and you know there's only so many times I suppose you can watch Star Wars and Raiders <laughs> say that again no, you're not <laughs> well you know <laughs> get out a, of this room. in a weekend yeah, get out of this no. if you've already it's, watched those yeah fair know, enough this this is this was next yeah um, yeah it's 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 clever so I guess does it hold up I guess this is where we come out does it hold up because at the beginning of this podcast you said it didn't as much so what, a, now that we've talked for it through, different reasons think? I think how so? Uh, so, as a kid, it held up because why? Let's compare it to the two. Because I needed very much to believe in magic. And magic is in magic romance, and, or no? As in, there are good people. There, are, there, there okay. are, there are codes of honor. There are sort of the idealism of the, the fairy tale. Right. The, okay. the fairy tale is right, and very cool. You know, okay. And the, now, now I appreciate the humor. Okay. Um, I've found true love. Which is so hokey, and 20-year-old me just died a little bit. That's okay. As long as I've known you, you've been with this guy, so that's like yeah, 20 years. And so that's cool. If, if you had asked me at 20, I would have said, that's crap. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go be a hermit. <laughs> You've met me, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. We've we're, been friends we're, for a long time. We're, we're, we're in my, we're in my, we're in my, uh, my nerd cave here. Yeah, yeah it's, it's... It's just, I have a different perspective on well, of the course world you. now. Yeah. Because well, it's it's 20 years later. That's the beauty of this podcast. That's why we're doing this, because we came from the 80s, which isn't just the title. Yeah, we were all born in the 70s. But the idea is that the 80s, is, these movies are what are, this is our childhood. Yeah. And it's going to be different, which is why I kind of like you guys not to watch these in advance. Mm-hmm. Because I want it to be like you'd never seen it before. Or you hadn't seen it in so many decades, how is it different? Obviously, this is your favorite film. You've probably seen it many times. Not in the last, probably... Eight years? Yeah, it's because you have a kid now. <laughs> yeah, my, my time is spent differently. Yeah, strangely enough. Well, you'll be a little... In a few years, he'll be the Fred Savage. Right, so uh, give, me, give me ten years and I'll show him Monster Squad and, and Princess Bride. Uh, I don't think you have to wait quite that long for, for, for Monster Squad, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's the idea that you could, be, you could be Grandpa, just don't grow the mustache, that wouldn't work for you. Oh, just, no, it's... Just, uh... just saying. Okay, so yeah, for me, I'll say that I like it more than I did coming into it. Because I haven't seen this film in 15 years. I downloaded the, you know, I purchased the DVD. And actually, I do own the DVD. So I that's probably when I, I was on a DVD buying spree and whatever. And this is all going to get cut out. I'm pretty sure. Because who gives a shit? Um, but what I'm trying to say is when I saw this 20 years ago, it was meh. Hmm. And then I forget why I bought it. Something sticks in my head that I had a girlfriend who liked it. Maybe that's what it That'll was. That'll do it. That'll do it, yeah. And um, that's why I bought Sonic the Hedgehog for the Wii Virtual Console. I sure as hell don't like that game. But no, a cute girl really did. So, okay, come over to my house. I have Sonic. 
Oh, we did this play Sonic all night. <laughs> oh. Anyway, yeah, whatever. Well, you were nearly very Hoisted on my own petard. I watch it now and I respect it. I'll be honest. I still don't like it all that much. And, and before today, I would have given it a two and a half out of five. But I respect it for the things it does right. So I'm going to give it three and a half, I guess is the best way to put it. That's where I wind up. How about you in terms of stars? 20 years ago, it would have been a five. Five plus. These days, eh, Carrie Elvis isn't as cute as I remember. <laughs> those uh, those those non-blinking eyes thing. where he just stares it's at you. so weird. Yeah. But I appreciate what they did. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I still use the phrases in my life, so yeah. go with four out of four. Five. Okay, so three and a half for me, four for you, and yeah. that works really well. Okay. And there it is, two out of three. So one more, also a fairy tale, but very different. And there it is. We'll see you next week. That's just for the podcast. Yep. Oh, God, it's not recording.